0: Listening to the Chartographers.
1: Hello! Everybody, and welcome to the third season of The Chartographers. It is a music-loving podcast for music-loving people <laughs> we take every single album by a particular artist
0: and we rank it from worst the first, it's what we do, it's what we have always done. I can't tell if I hate this more <laughs> or less than when you're like, Hello! Screaming <laughs> so like photographers! Some...
1: <laughs> oh hey guys, it's Evan and Terry and I'm not sure if you know us. We are from previous episodes. We are kind of the recurring characters, <laughs> the cast, if you will. And if you've been following the plot of the season so far, it's we've been picking some out of left field artists, and it's been a great time. We've been diving headfirst into some odd, strange maneuvering discographies throughout the time. <laughs> Uh, and this one, though, oh baby, we decided to go full bore on this one here. This is someone, uh, an Icelandic ice nymph, who has managed to create kind of avant-pop, as you will. Taking pop music and taking it to its strange outer limit and still somehow, for the most part, being commercial. For the most part, there's a point. We'll get to it. But guys, we're gonna dive into one of the, she's kind of the Oscar-nominated oddball that everyone loves and everyone tries to imitate, but is, goddammit, she's a real artist. So this week, we are talking about the one, the only, an artist who is so kind and generous. She gave us a sample of her new song and here's what it sounds like, ah! That's right, guys. It is Bjork! (laughs) Uh, The sugar cubes if you're nasty. So Bjork, who's... Last name I'm not gonna try and pronounce. Uh, she is a wonderful and delightful artist who actually at the age of five born and raised in Iceland uh, was sent to music school and learned a lot about different instrumentation learned a lot about uh, how to uh, you know like Rimsky-Korsakov and all sorts of other things there and eventually a recording that she did of a cover of a song made its way onto the radio and eventually someone else signed her to a record deal so by the age 11-12 she put out her fucking debut album which was almost nothing but covers and in later interviews she's kind of been like that wasn't really me so of course what she later did was formed a lot of weird bands was in a lot of bands punk scene started to come to Iceland she eventually was a part of a band called the Sugar Cubes and it was around that time when you know kind of late 80s early 90s when all of a sudden there's this kind of B-52s-ish no doubt-ish kind of sound that's emerging there's a song called Birthday made its way onto college radio stations They were, she was the biggest thing to come out of Iceland she's like I've learned to my limits after three albums I'm gonna do my own thing and then Bjork the artist as we know today came out with the debut album called Appropriately Debut and then a bunch of other albums after that uh, and we are gonna talk about them and we are gonna rank them It is so weird and fun and I'm excited about it But most importantly though in order to rank all of these things We need the people in place to make it happen our own sugar cubes if you will So first off just so you know the people in the room. It's me Evan Soddy You might know me as the interviews editor over at pop matters You've probably seen my writings in MSN or in liner note no re-releases stuff all around Google me uh, but most importantly, though, <laughs>
0: I hope you know me. <laughs> Or don't Google me. I like me. how as <laughs> the episodes go on, you just get more and more cockier. Like, you've definitely <laughs> yeah. seen my recent <laughs> writings don't. on MSN. You know There's we're... no
1: way you missed it. You love me. Uh, you don't. It's fine. <laughs> I hate me, too. It's fine. But most importantly, though, if you do know anything, the one thing I do love is this podcast, because it's awesome. Uh, and if you know anything about this podcast, then you know the person sitting next to me, the michelle Gondry to my spike (laughs) jones that's right guys all right (laughs) the co-creator of the podcast taryn o'reilly
0: oh oh. Oh, it's bjork hi my bjork impression is not good i i don't i have been trying for a couple days now (laughs) to get a bjork impression and it just it doesn't i can't i can't do it i mean i am male so that doesn't help. <laughs> that is true. Very but true. But it's still, I you know. And at
1: one point, we're going to discuss the incredible mystery that is how the fuck over all of these years her voice is exactly basically unchanged. I don't know. The how only that...
0: thing that's changed is she started going like <sighs> a lot. Yeah, rolling um, her r's. Rolling her, it's, and it's so inconsistent that when it does <laughs> happen, you're like, but why though? Yeah. Why are you rolling your r's? It does not fit this song. Now, anyway. qu-
1: now, question for you: Going into this week, what was your familiarity level with Bjork?
0: I knew about a dozen Bjork songs, just sporadic, you know, just sporadic, and you've I, seen the I, It's Also
1: Quiet video, right? It
0: seems it's also quiet. I really like Hyperballad, you know, the the normal stuff. Yeah. Um, obviously, I had heard Big Time Sensuality, like. The basics, but I definitely, I had never really... Dove in. Yeah, so it's been a very interesting week. And that's the thing, is that, like, we have a lot to say.
1: And already in Research Week, we've had a lot to say to each other about this. But we can't do it alone. We had to bring in a Bjork- expert here Thank uh, God. and honestly this came on the recommendation of one of our most beloved guests jericho blue from our madonna episode from season one uh but let me tell you something this is a bjork super fan that he is incredible he is delightful we are happy to have him here the interior designer you want in your life because he will interiorly <laughs> design your soul that's right
0: <gasps>
1: <laughs> okay. mikey and is here in studio right now How you doing? I'm great.
2: Good. Thanks for having me.
1: I'm I'm, excited. Oh, dude. I mean, like, I think it was like at a party like two years ago we mentioned the podcast because Jericho had just been on it. He's just like, oh, no, I can talk about Bjork. She's like your number one all time. For sure. Right. And
2: in case you're wondering why the opinion of an interior designer matters when it comes to Bjork, um, she herself recently said that statistically her average fan is a gay man from Mexico. And that's pretty much me. So (laughs) you're going to hear the opinion of of you know, the average typical New <laughs> yeah. yeah. York fan. All
1: right, Great. well, and that's fantastic because you've been living in this for years, uh, and we have a lot to get through. Because when you get down to it, she basically has nine studio albums if you want to kind of cut around the fat, and those are uh, her dance-pop-oriented debut, uh, debut in 1993. There's her uh, rainbow expansion of that sound in the form of Post in 1995. There is her Oh Hey Machines Can Feel album in uh, Homogenic in <laughs> 1997. Uh, there is, of course, her a lot more orchestral, a lot more delicate, snowbound album Vespertine from 2001. There was her Hey, You Know What? Fuck Instruments. My Voice is great. Medulla in 2004. There is the By The Way Timbalands here Album Volta in 2007. There is her app oriented song about the earth and you know, minerals and shit in Biophilia in 2011. There is her tragic breakup album that is Vulnakura. Correct. Volnicaura in uh, something to, like that. To 2015. Sure. It's
0: Latin, so yeah. we don't really know how it's pronounced.
1: Exactly. Uh, and of course, we also have her. Guess what? Flutes are back, baby. Album Utopia in 2017. So
0: that's nine albums. That's pretty good there.
1: But guess what? This is Bjork. So there's a lot of weird shit in the discography thing in terms of things we're gonna rank. First off, I think it goes without saying that album that she recorded when she was 11, 12, called Just Bjork. I think she doesn't like it. She doesn't consider it part of her own discography. I think we can just Mix that right now For so, sure. like, like hardcore Bjork fans they've heard it and like oh she's doing Fool on
2: the Hill cool I've like, never actually listened to it
1: and this so is the I'm hardcore okay Bjork fan it. in here right <laughs> exactly so we're not doing that uh, she did uh, kind of a jazz covers album in the form of Glinglo in uh, 1990 Uh, and the thing is, it's her doing covers, and it's almost entirely sung in Icelandic. It's a fun little experiment, but I wouldn't say that... I mean, her debut album, Debut, I think it's called that, because that's like, this is the start of my solo career.
0: She views that as her first record, Mm -hmm. so I think we should, too. I
1: think that's a great idea. So that being said, there is, of course, in 2010, she did a collaborative, almost entirely vocal EP with uh, the band, oh my god, Dirty Projectors, projectors. uh, called Mount Wittenberg Orca uh, in 2010, It's a collaborative album. Uh, In certain cases, we've allowed collaborative albums. It's also
0: an EP. Yeah. It was for charity. Mm -hmm. I think... That's easy. We already have enough, you uh, know? Exactly. But we also have two soundtrack albums
1: to talk about, too. One of them uh, is called Selma Songs, which was released in 2000 to tie into the Lars Ventrier film that she started at the time called Dancer in the Dark. Uh, it's a fucked up, dark little movie. Let me tell you something. <laughs> but also, there's musical numbers. You have to get through 40 fucking minutes of, like, depression, sadness in order to get there.
0: The first 40 minutes weren't even necessarily that depressing. They uh-huh. were sort of bleak, but uh-huh. they weren't like... the 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 true soul crushing moments did not happen until after the first dance number, but it was still those those were a hard forty minutes (laughs) to get to. Let me tell ya. Let me tell ya.
1: Because she had such a huge hand in the crafting of the songs for the film, like
0: that's like it's almost yeah. She was initially brought on board to write the score specifically and yeah. then they were, he was like but you should probably play the lead and she won
1: a best actress at con when it came out like it's a whole thing i personally think because it's such a song-oriented effort and because it's also very much an important artistic moment for her i think we should include selma songs in our ranking
2: i also think it's important to mention that well first of all she titled that album selma songs it's not you know just the motion picture soundtrack of blah 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 um, like, and, she's embodying the character, and that's what right. she's playing. Yeah, And even some of the lyrics of the songs in that album are different in the actual album than in the movie. also mm-hmm. some of the
1: singers are different, too. Yes. Yeah, because Tom York is a better singer than Peter Stormay. So, mm-hmm. sorry, sorry, buddy. <laughs> Alright, so there's that. Most importantly, though, there's also another one, though, and I'm sure hardcore fans are all about it. In 2005, she and her then-artistic partner and romantic partner, uh, Matthew Bellamy, they put out... An, Matthew Barney. Barney. I don't give a shit about him. He is put out in, in 2005, he put out a movie and there's a soundtrack for Drawing Restraint 9, which Mikey has seen, which is a two-hour abstract kabuki ship uh, out at sea, no theater
2: effort. It's about whales. (laughs) It's about sailors. It's beautiful. The three hours are worth it just for the ending. Okay, oh, yeah. so wow. that soundtrack
1: uh, I listened to it this week. Bjork sings like three songs on there. I think about yeah, yeah right. exactly. And there's a bunch of other people on there. It, weirdly enough, like it's one of the things I know that as a producer and instrumentalist, she is had a heavy hand in it. It it feels more like a soundtrack than Selma songs feels like a soundtrack. You know, Selma songs feels like an a soundtrack that was repurposed as an album. This feels like it has to be listened to in conjunction
2: with the film almost. And the fact that she sampled one of the songs from Drawing Straight 9 in Volta, mm-hmm. I think means that it's... You know, it's not her album. She's using that music later for her own album. That's not hers. Okay. So I would agree with that.
1: I think right. that's fair. All right. Well, in that case, debut, post, homogenic, Selma songs, Vespertine, Medulla, Volta, Biophilia, Vulnicura, and Utopia. We got 10 albums. We got 10 spots. We're going to rank them all as a group. Good arguments change opinions. I'm definitely open on a lot of different ideas there. But most importantly, though, Mikey, our dear friend, guest, target demographic Bjork fan, you have... When did you first hear Bjork? What year? Just roughly. Uh... Let's say 98. Damn. Maybe? All right. Yeah. Cool. So you've been in it for almost two decades now. So you've than anyone else. We're just talking about it. We're not ranking anything definitively. But Mikey, what would you nominate
2: number 10 as the worst Bjork album? I'm not ready to necessarily nominate this for number 10, but I do think we should start the conversation with her latest release, Utopia. Utopia. <laughs> Utopia. Okay. So. Context, for those who don't know. uh, Biophilia was kind
1: of her, she's exploring the earth, putting out a lot of different apps, working with scientists, sitting down with Richard Attenborough kind of album. Like, it was more of a multimedia project, you could argue, more than an album kind of sort of maybe. But then, after the uh, breakup with Matthew Barney, uh, she got like, it was like pure, like pouring out my soul kind of stuff. And she put on not one, but two albums about it. Because Vulna Cure is very much kind of like the, this is the breakup album. This is the exploring all the ins and outs and the ups I mean, and downs.
0: in Latin, the title literally means healing of wounds. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. It's, it's very much, very specifically like her cathartic getting over this breakup. Right.
1: And therefore, uh, Utopia, which came out just two years afterwards, on the cover, she's... I don't even know what creature she is on the cover, but there's little holes in her neck, and she's holding up a flute, which should give you an indication there's a lot of goddamn flute. All over this album, she's and birds. birds. Yeah, she's working. Yes. Birds. Oh my god. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> she's working with Arca, who is kind of the uh, hard extreme producer who worked with like on Jesus and worked with FKA Twigs, and you know has his own albums as well. Mm-hmm. But like, she's- this is like she's been working with them across the last two albums. It is kind of this. I don't even know how to describe it. Kind of like this orchestral bleep. It's like industrial pop. Yeah, it's, like,
0: not quite ambient. Right. No, definitely not. But, I do but not it's, feel relaxed. But it's, like, coming from that place, mm-hmm. like, I feel like that's almost the uh, the atmosphere they're going for, but then they lay a lot of other shit on top of that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like,
2: yeah. But I think with Utopia, there's a disconnect. I mean, the the title itself refers to, like, this place, right? And, and she thinks... That or she said that after Volnakura she wanted to do something maybe more lighthearted or, or something that gave her more joy than Volnakura and that, that did not happen. Oh. That, that was not accomplished. Mm-mm, yeah. Mm-mm, mm-mm. So you're
1: the hardcore Bjork fan. Uh, what's been, like, you know, post-Volta, let's say, what's been your opinion of, like, this... Because definitely, Biophilia was a turning point. Her last three albums have kind of continued in that vein.
2: I would agree. Completely. Yes. yes. There are some songs that have been worth listening I would agree. these albums. Um, but I think also, some of my least favorite Bjork songs are from the last few Yeah, um, Absolutely. albums.
1: And the thing is that, like, I think the one thing we also need to credit here is the fact, especially when you trace her career as far as it has been, I don't think anyone's denying her ability at craft. Because, like, when it comes to these songs, these complex, dynamic arrangements and, like, all the things that she has planned out, like, it is absolutely admirable however i feel like with these last three albums she's very much kind of like built her own world that we the listeners we the audience aren't necessarily invited into sometimes we are there's little Mm -hmm. moments of that but for the most part like especially utopia that fucking flute sound is across the entire album and i mean that as a negative because like one track bleeds into another like there's almost little differentiation between them
0: well and part of the problem is too is that like I'll say, some of my favorite moments on Utopia are when the flutes are going full bore just because it's so intricate and interesting. And then you have stuff like uh, Features Creatures and Future Forever where it's just like almost completely tempo-less and she's just like free singing this melody she's written and every like four seconds there's like a synth chord hit. Mm. And that's all that's happening in these songs. And I just like... That's never going to be an effective method of conveying emotion, the, uh-huh. what you want to get across. Like, I just, not very much happening in a lot of these tracks, and that's true of the last three albums. They all have a couple of those.
2: Here's the one thing I will say about the songs that we might think are, you know, not her best, her worst songs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're not accidentally bad. She knows, exa- I think she knows exactly what she's doing. I would agree. Oh, absolutely. I would actually She agree. wants to create those songs the way they are, Definitely. She doesn't care that they don't sound pretty. That, that's just what she wanted to create. Uh uh-huh. And then people didn't like them, but <laughs> she and, intended for them to be there.
1: That being said, though, uh, and we could talk about these albums. I know he didn't nominate necessarily, but I will say off of Utopia, there were at least two songs I dug. First off, the opener, Arise in My Senses, this like this, it's like waves of sound come at you. It's a melody. It's a hookable melody. They kind of, you know, they stick to it. They grind it through and it stays in your head a little bit. And it's just this explosion of noise. I'm like, oh my god, this is like almost like almost record-breaking pop kind of avant-pop York back again. And I'm like, in it. And then the rest of the album happens.
2: It was a great introduction after everything that was Von Yeah but then that's not the constant sound of the rest of the album. Right, and I kind
1: of like Saint. Saint actually kind of stuck out for me a little bit. It has
2: a little bit more of a melody I can latch my ears onto. I'm partial to Sumi.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I can Uh dig Sumi. But these are still minor notes. Yeah. Yeah, right. If they were on... Other albums, I've, I'm not even sure I would have mentioned Sumi. Right. You know? Like, I enjoy it, but it's it's not, like, a career highlight yeah. by any
1: means. It's a highlight because it's not the body memory, you know, on this album there. So, you just threw it out there. What would you actually nominate at number 10?
2: So, listening to these albums again, I, I think I realized that the one album that has the most songs that I dislike is Biophilia. And originally when it came out, I was, you know, I wanted to get into it. I tried to get into what she was doing, but there are some songs that I just have to skip on that album.
0: Well, I will say, I think that the weakest run of tracks on any album I've listened to while doing this podcast (laughs) is (laughs) um, "Dark Matter," "Hollow," and "Virus" off of "Fucking Hollow."
2: I like "Virus," but I completely. I kind
0: of like
1: "Virus" too, but "Hollow" is literally the, the worst. worst thing i think I mean, i've ever heard well, her do <laughs> hollow th- ancestors I of, on medulla is kind of I close. forget
0: <laughs> if i forget if was hollow one of the ones where i was looking at and it's um it's in like 178 or something like that time yeah. like mm-hmm. that's part of why it's so off putting is because it's there's an extra like eighth note beat in there which is yeah. just it that's very disarming for because even even on this album in general, there's songs in 5-4 and 6-4 and 7-4 and 3-4 and like it very much is breaking traditional time. And that's also part of why Dark Matter is so bad, because it's it's like I was saying earlier, it's one of those songs where it's fully free sung. There is not a tempo, there is not a time signature, it's just whatever emotions she pours into the melody she's written and that's just uh, while i can respect that from an artistic endeavor it just isn't music that i ever i never want to hear that song again
1: right and the thing is that like i will say thunderbolt is maybe might be my uh terrible gray goose on this one here because that fucking song craving miracles miracles and, then, and her repeating <laughs> yeah. the phrase craving I'm just like, oh my god, girl, shut up. Like it's just
0: it's okay, rough. But, but um my favorite song on any of these last three albums is Crystalline. Yeah. Which is on by a Well Ophelia. Crystalline actually builds to something. It's, it's an actual like fucking song. Yeah. It has a chorus, it has it like a hook, it has really cool production. I like the me. lyrics
1: of it when she's talking about crystals like growing like plants underground. Like there's some stuff yeah. going on there.
2: Yeah. It was a great first single. She teamed up with Michelle Gondry for the video. Mm-hmm. Like after so many years, so it was kind of this big excitement. About like her oh, she's back! Yeah, she's yeah. back. And then the rest of Biophilia happened. Yeah. Um, I, I am a fan of Mutual Core though. That
0: song kind of the I
1: will say that's been kind of my, surprised me this week. Yeah.
0: That's Mutual Core is one it has a fucking where deep, I definitely even if it's industrial. I feel like. Yeah, the industrial beat is a little too much for me. It's almost—it's like veering into like a Zola Jesus. Yeah, territory. <laughs> yeah. Um, which you know, obviously Zola Jesus is hugely influenced by Bjork, but uh-huh. it's still like in that same vein. And I—I um, I think that the melody on Mutual Core is better than the production, so yeah. I still very much enjoy listening to it. Yeah, I think her vocal take and the melody are. Talking really about the cool. tectonic plates moving in her
1: chest, like yeah, you know, like I like her embodying the earth and kind of what that's yeah, is. like I dig that, you know. And she's got some other lines kind of scattered throughout here. I remember like Tabula Rosa on uh, Utopia has, like, one of the most memorable lines, which is, let's, uh, what was that? Uh, Let's break the chains of the fuck-ups of our fathers so women no longer have to take it lying down or something like that. Like, it's just like, you know, there's some powerful stuff on there, but I remember on fucking, let's just talk about it while we're here, uh, at one point, I believe it's uh, Stone Milker, there's that line where she talks about how uh, you know sometimes clarity is not always apparent or and it's something along those lines i'm like yeah that's the entire last of these albums like and the thing is that critics jizz themselves over volna which oh after yeah
0: i was looking it, it made it onto like dozens of like top five albums of the year and i'm like are we listening to the same thing Like, you have to be hardcore into Bjork and, like... Which music critics, I think, are. There's kind of a FOMO of, like, not... I I feel like, also, by 2015, music critics were hardcore into ARCA. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they were working together was like, Oh, my God, God.
1: yeah. And weirdly enough, like, of these albums, Utopia has bad songs in it, Biophilia has bad songs in it. There's a couple takeaways on both. And Volicura's just
0: there it yeah it just kind of exists, you know
1: it, and i know people fucking love this album they think it's like such a powerful breakup album and it carries on some fucking narrative but when i hear not get like that's like almost a total to me uh-huh. like legit
0: like it's it's i
1: don't i kind of maybe like land song a little yeah like, uh, line song w- yeah. is
0: definitely my favorite thing on here but again it's not even as good as uh, sumi from utopia which yeah. is like not nah. anyway like you, I
2: yeah. like history of touches, but I think getting through the ten minutes of Black Lake followed by Family <laughs> is a challenge. Uh-huh. And I mean, you can say that about most of her albums; they're challenging to listen to. You can... Right, but I mean, the thing her about the thing about
1: being an experimental music artist, because although she you know plays in pop, she is an experimental artist. She is avant garde. And the thing about what the thing I always like to describe about experimental music is sometimes the experiment works. Sometimes it stretches into such a degree that it's just like, wow, I had no idea a song could do that. You know, like it just it expands the horizons and because of that not every song you know works i would say even of her earlier albums there isn't one that i would say is flawless Mm -hmm. i'd say you know there's ups and downs to each but like i still enjoy how many of the times that it hits it's just once we hit here it's just moving so far out of out of pasture that's just like rough.
0: Yeah. And I think it's it says a lot that, like, one of my favorite moments on Vulnichira is when Anoni is singing. Mm-hmm. And it's yes. like a different artist mm-hmm. yeah. is, is what's
1: saving this Oh, art thank for God. Me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, that being said, it's been 20 minutes
0: already. Well, I think we can rank all three of these. I would right? agree. It's with just a that matter too. of agreeing yes. on what no, order I, it is. I
1: think number 10 by Ophelia, number uh, 9 Utopia, number 8 Vulnicura.
0: Uh, By pure value of crystalline, (laughs) I would put Biophilia higher, but I'm not even going to fight with you. I would do Vulnicura 10, Utopia 9, Biophilia 8.
2: I would do, this is tough, Biophilia 10, Utopia 9, Vulnicura
0: 8. Okay. Let's do that. I just don't... because Volna isn't as bad as the other ones. Right, it's just, exactly. It's just right. not... If
1: you were highlights, it's just unmemorable. Yeah. Cool. Well, guess what? I feel great now. After, after that's out of the way, we can have a discussion now. I'm excited about <laughs> it. We can about talk it. about oh, the good shit. Exactly. All right. So we are now down to debut post-homogenic Selma songs, Vesper Team Medulla Volta. Uh, uh, number seven. Oh, God. What, okay. What would you um... telling out there?
0: I have an idea myself, but... You should go then. Okay. Um, Because I have, like, it's tied between, like, three. Right. And so I would say that, I mean, we're now at a point
1: where we're talking about good albums. And for me, of these ones that we have left, and I wouldn't even call it my favorite, but I'd say the hardest one for me to actually enjoy on an end-to-end basis is actually Volta. Uh, because I feel like it's one of the things after, uh, Vespertine and Medulla, these kind of softer, a little bit weirder, a little bit more orchestral kind of like, you know, decadent, you know, kind of albums, uh, Volta was almost like, oh, she's back, she's returning to, you guys like Army of Me, right? This is kind of that. Uh, And, you know, she works with uh, Timbaland on two tracks. It has a little bit more African percussion in there. Which songs
0: are the Timbaland tracks?
1: Uh, That would be Earth Intruders and Innocence. The one Ah, that has the, you know, punch sound. My two favorites. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Makes sense. I know. And the thing is, so, like, this is, uh, I feel like even, like, when she gets, like, atonal and angry on Declare Independence, which is almost a political song, except I don't think it knows exactly what it wants to say. Uh, Like, it's like, this is an interesting album. I don't hate it, but like do Flame of Desire re- recycles its melody too long. It's just kind of a confused, almost return to form. It kinda reminds yeah. me of Beck Squero, where like he's kinda like, I'm almost recreating your favorite album that you have for me, Odele, But like in modern terms and not as good.
0: That's yeah, Dole Flame of Desire is definitely one where I was like, this would be a really good song if it was four minutes long. But it's seven wait, and wait. a half. Mm-hmm. And it just keeps doing that thing. And it just keeps going and you're like, oh, oh alright. All yeah. right. Okay, like, cool. Fucking get it. But I will say, Innocence is like,
2: creeping up
0: on one of my favorites. Oh, really? Like, I really <laughs> dig <laughs> that beat. <laughs> <laughs> um, And it's, you know, I'm a huge Timbaland fan, yeah. so. And it's weird how like, his style
1: blends in with Bjork surprisingly well. Yeah. I mean, well, I would say Earth Intruder's is
0: also great. She's, since Vespertine, and maybe even since, well, like, think about the, the beat on Kvalda uh-huh. from Selma songs. Like, yeah. He Timbaland has always been about making beats out of unconventional unconventional percussive sounds. And that's something that she's also done. So when he comes to produce her album, he doesn't even really need to change what he's doing very much. You know? Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I think that's why those are two of the strongest tracks on here. Yeah, I do like
2: her collaboration with Anoni on this album. Uh-huh. I'm glad she came back for Volnicura, but it it also has a couple of really dull moments like, I uh, I, I don't mind Vertebrae, I don't even remember what it sounds like, and I listened Mm -hmm. to it twice you know, this week I don't remember what it sounds like, because Mm -hmm. it's that uneventful Mm -hmm. yeah I kind of like I See Who You Are. Like, that has a nice little lilting melody to it there.
1: But, like, again, I feel like of these albums, like, it's this is leaps and bounds more listenable than the previous three, you know, the last three albums in their discography. Yeah. I just feel like artistically it's, like, colorful and all over the place and doesn't know what it wants to do. You know, like, that's mm-hmm. kind of how I
2: feel about it. Mm-hmm. It is all over the place, and maybe that's something that worked... Uh, in post, and we can talk a little bit more about that later. And she herself said she was trying to do a return. Volta, again, with a Latin, it means, like, going back. But it it didn't work as well this time
1: okay. as it had mm-hmm. in the past for her. Yeah. Well, that's my nomination. Do you, either of you have alternates?
0: Yeah, I, I'm not even sure I would put this lower than Volta, but I think that uh, before we rank it, we should talk about Medulla. Because yeah. I... Enjoy a couple things that are happening on Medulla. I think Triumph of a Heart is a fucking banger. Mm-hmm. And what was the other one? Mouse oh, cradle? Who Is It? Yeah. Who Is It a oh, is a really it? solid, beautiful song. Oh, yeah. But the problem oh, is it? that I like Who Is It, and it sounds like a performance of a college a cappella group. Oh. Um, and that's kind of my issue with this whole album, album. is that, like, a cappella can be fascinating and super interesting but not for 14 songs if this song if this album was nine songs maybe i would feel better about it but it just it goes on as, as as much as she does manage to find a huge array of things to do with a human voice not all of those sounds work in a recorded context when you're hearing the like or the and you're like okay really yeah we want this Well, you listened to this like a bunch of times during during mastering and we're like yes this is good print it this is the album that gave us ancestors yeah which is
1: like piano chords and And I'm like, like oh. someone crying in the background. <laughs> yeah. and it's just like I'm like, oh, this is music, I guess. You know, technically. Yeah, 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 but so that's
0: that... my that's my thing. Is that like, while Volta is not the return to form that it was trying to be, it it still as at least is like it sounds like classic Bjork. It sounds in line. Whereas Medulla is a really cool experiment, but it's not there Like, there's nothing on there, really, that I'm going to put on all the time.
1: Right. And that's fine, except the biggest thing for me is that the difference is that Volta is, like, listenable, is enjoyable. There's a couple songs on it there. There's some bad songs off of the Duel, but there are some fucking great songs on there. Like, I wouldn't even call it my favorite, but the fact that you have Mike Patton doing the low end, and then you have uh, the rapper beatboxer Rizal doing the beat to Where Is The Line, which is, like, this, you know, like, it starts out kind of weird and kind of gritty, and then this boom, boom. Like it's just It's weird how Like she's like Let's do industrial music With voice almost Mm -hmm. And I'm like It's one of the things I don't even love that song But I can kind of Appreciate it But like who is it It's like a fucking Pop song You know like It's just And like that's why Bon Iver and other people Have like covered it Since then And then I mean I remember getting this album You know when I was Still going through Bjork stuff I'm like I'm fascinated I'm interested I think I remember hearing Oceania when it came out Which is a song Like those whoops And wails on there You know all these Groups coming together Like oh man I dug it uh, but when I heard Triumph of the Heart for the first time, which is like a full dance pop song yeah. with like people like Dokka and other people on there, you know, like just doing sounds and now,
0: wa-tick-a-bop, wa-tick-a-bop. and I'm just like, oh man, like you're in it. Like, how is this working as well as it is? Right, but the thing is like, this album could have been like as incredible and immediate as Who Is It and Triumph of a Heart all the way through and it's not, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not even close.
2: You're right. I do, <laughs> however, think that Medulla is lyrically superior than Volta. Okay. You were just saying how Declare Independence is, like, um, kind of political, but not Declare really... Declare Independence! In Medulla, she has pretty direct political lyrics in songs like Mouth's Cradle, uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, where, you know, she's she's talking about the Osamas and Bushes of the world, fucking things up for everybody. And, and I also think Desired Constellation is just a beautiful metaphor. One of, like, her metaphorical poems that she used to release um yeah in one of her later albums so i do think that it has stronger moments than than volta's strong
0: moments okay okay i think that's like okay. i said i was not you necessarily saying yeah. we need to put set seven i just i thought yeah, we should can... talk about it before we ranked it right so just out
1: of curiosity what would you put at the spot mikey volta volta yes and then would you follow that with medulla well, okay. Well, before anything else, let's put it in Volt. Let's put it yeah, in Volt. We put can in Volta lock in Volt at seven. number seven. All right, cool. All right, what you got? You know, at is the this risk,
2: controversial? At the risk of yes, of creating controversy. <gasps> um, I think vespertine is is coming up on our on our list here.
0: I mean. Okay,
1: so. When I... I had, like, all the all the Bjork, like, going into this week. I had, like, you know, everything, and I gave it to Taryn. And the thing is that, as I pointed out when I was listening to it, like, on my phone, I'm like, oh, fuck, I gave you the incomplete... In- Vespertine, because what I had was essentially like I was that thing like back in the college day, like you worry about hard drive space because you know it's so much more limited back then. And like instead of like ripping all the songs on the album, you rip your favorite song. And I had like five or six on here, and that's what I gave to Taryn initially. And then I'm like, oh wait, no, it's okay, I fixed it, I have everything together, I put it all on there. And honestly, in this week listening to it, it's just one of those things with Vespertine where it's like, man, I was may have been right about not including every single song on there. Because, like, the songs that don't work just don't work. But
2: the songs that do work are, like, So the first half of the album is amazing, right? Is that what we're talking about? In Place, It's Out To You, Pagan Poetry, Frosty. I'm not sure
0: I would draw the line that clearly. Like, first half, re-second half. Um like heirloom is one of my favorites on here for sure but heirloom is not her
2: song originally she's singing over consoles instrumental piece Peace. crabcraft and first of all i think it's amazing that that song fits so well in this album when mm-hmm. it's not originally composed by her also i want to hear more songs like that on best for team But also, I mean,
1: but that Mm -hmm. being said, casual, you know, everyday Bjork fan, for the most part, when they pick up this album, they're going to hear that, like, oh, it's a Bjork song. For sure. like, so I'm willing to qualify. And also, Unison is a fucking amazing closer. Like, legit.
0: Unison blows my fucking mind. Unison took what, and we'll get to this in a minute, I'm always going to be a fan of a giant horn and string (laughs) ending. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Um... So New World off of Selma Songs is like cool. one of my faves, beautiful. beautiful, stunning. For me, Unison took that to the next level. Mm. She's she's described these two albums as Selma Songs was was her day job and Vespertine was her like, what she worked on at night when she got home. Yeah. And I feel like she took the bones of what she had started doing with her day job and then was like, but I can do so much more with this. Right. With my own full artistic control. Because for those
1: who don't know, this was when she began experimenting with microbeats. Like, she had a laptop. This is before the fucking, like, I'm gonna make stuff on my iPad, which everyone did in fucking 2010, 2011. Mm -hmm. You know, fuck her and Damon Albarn. But uh, the thing is that, like, around this, like, she's working with just minor, like, EDM, like... You know, like, kind of things, and, like, building Mm -hmm. songs out of, like, this very small, unlike the big, overblown stuff she'd done before, like, quiet,
0: introverted, whispery. I was reading about, very specifically, the way that she made all these beats was she wanted to choose, like, things that sounded well when they sounded good still while they were digitized. So that's why there's a lot of, like, clavicles and harps and Uh stuff like that, uh, or clavichords my words and clavicles yeah um (laughs) but but so because of all of that and just because of the very like chilly vibe of this record it is a winter album it's it's a winter night album, and it's like almost because of that i would say that the sort of more fillery tracks are all i just love like this is one of the albums where i just i want to listen to it straight through with the exception of aurora Maybe one of my least favorite Bjork songs. But like when you get to an echo, a stain or like, oh, don't even get me started on pagan poetry, which P.S. She had a a music box made for Mm -hmm. and then she just recorded the music box for the record. But like there's just this calmness to this album that is almost a relief. It's like, yeah, it's a relief. And I feel like that's the sort of vibe that she tried to recreate later on Biophilia and Vulnicura. And just couldn't quite get to again because it wasn't quite as immaculately complicated. Does that make sense? Oh fuck. yes. I also love Undo mm-hmm. and Cocoon. Undo's fucking great. And Cocoon's and Hidden great. Place. Hidden Place is like <laughs> top three Bjork songs for me. That whole, I felt that like you chorus. had that revelation last night. I did. Yeah, I did at like. Midnight (laughs) and then I listened to it like six times today. I'm really obsessed. Yeah, it in place. Yeah You know, I also the more I talk about it sort of understand why you're putting it down here because then after all of the songs I have listed there's just a lot of fluff here. Yeah. What is a shame about Vespertine is that it has some
2: amazing B-sides that didn't make it onto the album Mm -hmm. for whatever reason I think some of the B-sides are better than some of the songs that made it onto the album. Mm -hmm. Domestica is probably one of my favorite Bjork songs, regardless of whether it's a B-side or not. She said that that was one of the first songs she wrote for the album because the album was supposed to be about home life, kind of like you were saying her her night time, what she did, you know, yeah, going home by herself. And it's a beautiful song about how she lost her keys and she can't find them and she wishes she could because there's a taxi waiting for her. Yeah. And that's the entire song and it's beautiful. But nothing <laughs> like that made it onto the album, yeah. which is surprising if that was sort of the concept from the beginning.
1: Right. But I mean, that being said, for me, it's like, I remember it was like back, you know, 2002, 2003, whatever, driving back from my day job at night at the snow in Salt Lake in my fucking boxy Isuzu Trooper snowing roads are a little bit cover a little bit light turns green i turn onto a thing and for whatever reason just starts spinning out but i have this album playing at the time and fuck it it's not up to you is on there and not just that but i always remember that moment and because like that's when you listen to this album at night and during the snow uh, i mean not just because she actually samples uh, the sound of crunching snow onto your feet for the beat for one of these songs uh, but also the fact that it's just, like, it just feels that way. It feels celestial and orchestral, but also bound into the heavens, you know, into the firmament. You know, like, it's just, like, that's the kind of the vibe that's going on. The children choir at the end of It's Not Up To You fucking kills me every time. You know, because, like, it just, it really takes that emotion, you know, like, it's not a- and then, you know, that little undercut of that she has of, uh, but it never really was. You know, like, it's mm-hmm. like about, like, you want to fall in love, you want to have all these other things happen to you, it ain't your choice, baby. It's like a brutal, weirdly brutal song, but it's so gorgeous in the package it's delivered in. And, like, mm-hmm. for me, it's for that reason, there are flaws to Vespertine. It is kind of like a... It's not like my Dark Horse number one, or anything else like that, I will say. I thought it might be for a minute there. Yeah. But, like, for me, like, Medulla, and I like Medulla a lot, I just feel like... And medulla has more empty space than vespertine does that's like my biggest thing but mm-hmm. i want to do you you? i just want to see if you're still this is vespertine lower than
2: medulla i i, I think you've convinced me I, I okay mean, you, I, vespertine is a great album there are more songs out of medulla that i usually would like to listen to mm-hmm. but in in 14 songs there are a bunch of mistakes or, again, not mistakes, because she, yeah, meant yeah. Them, she meant for them to be there. <laughs> yes, yes. But, you know... York stand. <laughs> I get
1: it. Yes, all right, cool. Well, in that case, are we okay, then, with Medula at 6 and Vespertine at 5? Yes. Okay. Whew. All right, so just to recap for those who are listening number 10, Biophilia. Number 9, Utopia. Number 8, Vulnicura. Number 7, Volta. Number 6, Medulla. Number 5, Vespertine. So basically, outside of Biophilia, we're kind of going in reverse chronological order, <laughs>
0: which, which is which, which we've done before. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, it feels right though, I honestly. Kinda, I kind of have to say that if we're burying Vespertine, Selma songs has to be <sighs> next. If
2: not Selma songs, what are you thinking of him? <laughs>
0: well, don't fucking throw that shit at me. All right,
1: so we're down to the top four. We're down to debut post onogenic and Selma songs. Because
0: I would, I would put Selma songs below Vespertine personally, <gasps> definitely. Okay. But I understand why it's not.
1: Okay, and I know that there was a holy trilogy of kind of the first three albums in a lot of fans' minds. I know that. And this week, I kind of wanted to see if I could... But
0: also objectively going into it afterwards, say so that was smart.
1: Yeah, and the thing is that, like... And I kind of <laughs> wanted to go into when I went to Research Week, because I've had these albums for a while, and I kind of wanted to poke holes in that narrative, just like, let's see where the fuck you are. And just now, when we were talking about uh, Vespertine, I was looking at the track list for all of these, and I'm like, well, shit. Like, it's one of the things, Uh because there are, listen, guys, I'm telling you right now, there's some weak moments on post. I hate to break it to you. I know there's some stands out there, but like... Never mind. We'll get to it. Exactly. Yeah. Babe, we're going to get to it. But at the <laughs> same time, some of the songs I have a profound connection with. Now, let's get something out of the goddamn way. 107 Steps is a narrative song. It's not really a song song. It's not really something you can... It has to be enjoyed in the circumstance of the movie. Like, she did it. It's work. I get it. Whatever. But... Aside from, like, Scatterheart, which is definitely way different on the album version than the movie version. And like, I think I prefer the movie version.
0: Yeah, I do too. Especially having, like, watched that just a couple of days ago. Uh-huh. Listening to the album version is sort of disappointing. It is. And I, profoundly. Yeah. Because, like... Because d- that's the one where, that she made the most overarching changes to like absolutely I think she, she like Completely. reworks the production a, a bit because
1: on yeah on the on the it's in the movie right after uh she, she mercy kills the cop because he's a fucking asshole and wants to die but then she goes to jail for it spoiler alert uh, yeah oh sorry i spoiled a movie that's 18 years old for y'all uh but most importantly though like in that film like at that point her kid is riding around on the new bike that he got from the people that are now dead and he's singing what's he, what's he singing in that moment he's saying it wasn't he had did, no, no choice you just had to do. You had to, yeah, do what you had to do. Which is not what the chorus that she has here, which she sings herself. Like, Scatterheart's kind of weird, but then, oh my god! Uh Kvalda is like, I remember like when you finally get to it, oh my the, when they have the brassy horns oh, and everything well, else. Yeah, like when, that, when you oh. finally
0: get it to it after 40 minutes of literally scoreless, depressing, like Slice of rust belt movie, yeah, uh-huh. it's a huge break. It's undoubtedly my well, second favorite song on this album. It's it's fantastic, mm-hmm. but it also, like, in an album sense, the intro is too long uh-huh. and like Catherine Deneview doesn't sound as good as York does shit. and kinda just wish that York was singing the whole thing. Yeah. But, you know, if we're doing ranking, I'm gonna list all my complaints. Exactly. Like yeah. and that's I also like in the musicals is fine. It's a thing that she well. did like a thousand times better on "It's Oh So Quiet," and so I just don't really have any use for it. it oh, it just—I've it, never disagreed with you on anything more. I also in will my say that um, I've seen it all is too long and it doesn't build to anything, like and it, right. Tom York does not save
1: it. Which is—I always have this memory in my mind that he's better than he is in that song too. That's like the worst part, right? About because it. Yeah.
0: he's great, yeah. on... On the Radiohead records. And around this he's, time,
1: he did a fucking collaboration on the PJ Harvey album, Stories from the C- City, Stories from the Sea. Uh, they have a song together, uh, The State We're In, which is like fucking amazing and gorgeous but and I beautiful.
0: it's not Tom York's fault that he's not interesting on this song because he just wasn't given anything interesting to do. It's right. a very simple melody and it just kind of keeps did going with that.
1: She wanted not Peter Strome singing on the album version, which I get, which is fine. They're buddies. They, you know, they share a mutual interest. That's great. But like, I get it. That being said, I need to gush about it in the musicals for a second because that song fucking kicks ass and I don't care who the fuck says anything on there. Kay. The way that produ- the, in the production is just inventive, it starts out with those little, you know, sneaker sketches across hardwood floor, mm-hmm. later goes to the pencil pads of the courtroom on there, and the fact that it just has, like, the way the horns swing and brass and you have the clapping, it's just like, it really feels like she wanted to embellish everything about, like, you know, a Bubsy Birthday musical like back in the day. Like, it feels defiantly old school. Like, it's an expansion of the It's So So Quiet Sound because she also gives it a much more imbued vocal take a much more you know passionate and poetic thing like she's writing for this You're, character
0: I, I don't know how you can get more passionate than the vocal take on it's oh so quiet it's almost Possibly. comical though
1: and sometimes like the screaming is like almost like off-putting That's sometimes too like it's perfect.
2: abrasive all right mikey <laughs> settle the bed here between us here walk us through your thoughts on some of the songs so i, I do think some of the songs were improved for the album mm-hmm. um you know better singers, different <laughs> lyrics. Yep. I am a fan of um, the next-to-last song in, in the movie. That's about One where, where, of you, steps. where you like continue crying after all the crying you've already done. Oh. No, here it's a new world, Oh, re- yeah. re- rewritten as a new world. Um, the lyrics in next-to-last song are just heartbreaking. Yeah, um,
0: Stunning.
1: Well, I like there's that one line she has in there about, like, the sun uh, unfolding in her hair, and just, like, those four words together, sun unfolding in your hair, or whatever, like, I'm just like, that's such a fascinating way to phrase that, and she has always such a fascinating hold of the English language, where she sometimes uses her advantage in wonderful ways, and that's one of those times, but continue, yeah.
2: I agree, and I think in this album you also kind of see the influence of what was being done... I guess at the same time for Vespertine, where she's collaborating with Matmos and they're making sounds out of, you know, shuffling a deck of cards and opening bird cages, And then, like you were saying, the sneakers and the notepads. So they kind of go hand in hand. Taryn, you make a good point that maybe Vespertine is is a better endeavor in that Right, because they do, they they do a songs. lot
0: of the same production tricks on mm-hmm. Vesper team but a lot more calmer, to, a lot more. and but also just to a more consistent listening experience mm-hmm. and to, I think, a stronger effect more often. Yeah, I mean, I still, I don't need us to put Vespertine higher, but I am gonna stick to my guns pretty hard to hear that some songs needs to go for Yeah, I think having a discussion about it, I think is
1: helpful on that end, because it's just like this. Is, the highlights for me are absolute, like, career highlight type things. Like, I appreciate the inventiveness that she brings. It's almost like the post-level of just like, explosive color and sound, which I'm always a big fan of and appreciate there. But again, it's also at the same time, I'm looking at Overture and New World. They're still great, but it is the same song. One time it has lyrics over it and 107 steps is like inconsequential it's only good for the narrative Mm -hmm. i have a deep and profound love of this album but that being said i think we can go ahead we can put it in at number four on there uh and in the musicals is fucking awesome but that being said uh we are now down and i guess we kind of thought it was going to be this way debut post and homogenic Uh, Three very different albums, I will say. Just like literally as different as they can be from each other outside of the rest of their discography. So Mikey, I don't envy you at all, but if you had
2: to pick a number three out of these three albums,
1: what what would you go with?
2: Because I don't know what we're gonna do when we get to (laughs) Post and Homogenic, I, I think we can talk about Debut next. It is the one album, I think, out of her entire discography that Sounds like the era when it was made. If you listen to a post okay, song yes. now, okay. you don't know when it was created. Debut is very <laughs> '90s in the brilliant way, mm-hmm. but it's a little bit dated. Mm-hmm. That is a great fucking point.
0: Yes, yeah, because debut is definitely like you can hear that she's collaborating with people Milly in the Hooper. London scene that she like enjoys. You can definitely like, yeah, you hear that trip hop effect. Yeah, I mean, Big Time
1: Sensuality I think is the biggest victim of it, because that sound that like
0: that's like do 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 like, that's like that tone. Yeah. That's like, that's like tone. Like full, there's some yeah. full-blown house music. I mean, I fucking love There's More to Life than Gee, Okay, this. we need to Probably talk about right, it, the production but, on this goddamn song for a second. it is straight up house music. Like, it's just, like it's not nearly as inventive as the following two albums, certainly. But the production on There's More to Life
1: than this, I remember when I got this album the first time and I heard it and I kept going back to it over and over again because it's kind of like this live, like, it feels like a live tape recording of something. Everyone's kind of in the background a little bit, you know,
0: like... It says, recorded live at the milk bar toilets. Right,
1: and the thing is that, like, I think that that was in the album too, where, like, it just feels so deliberate though because it's not just, like, a tape that you have. Like, it's production-wise because for her to, like, that sound of the door opening and closing and her to be... Yeah. phone yeah. exactly. She her-
0: definitely... I mean, they definitely, like did that take and then also took it to the studio and spruced it up a bit.
1: Exactly. Sure. But then she's there in the bathroom and she's singing and you just hear the, all those music and sounds like faintly through the walls and she's singing full bore vocal and then like what? And then the door opens and an explosion of sound again. Like, it's just a journey. It's such a simple trick but she pulls that little thing off so brilliantly.
0: It's like the movie yeah. Bird
1: Band compressed in a song. You know, like, it's just like <laughs> fucking great. You know, I just love what she does with that. But please, continue. Yes.
0: Um, I mean, also, I, I mean, do I even need to talk about human behavior? Don't Iconic, don't instantly, don't what an incredible don't way don't to start your artistic debut. Yeah. And just, like, talking about themes that she will be talking about for the entire rest of her career and life. And it's, then you go into crying, and again, it's, like, pretty housey, but that like it's everything i want out of a dance song <laughs> like literally everything uh-huh. and then you go to Venus as a boy you're the first time you're hearing her get all like sensitive it's not quite a ballad but you're you're still in that in that vein okay but i this, just the things that surprise me about uh, debut
1: it is a dance pop album it's the moments when it's not dance pop that I think are most fascinating. Because, uh, like, Someone in Love, kind of this little, like, you know, dusty, European, almost, like, harpish soundtrack. It's one of the few times she does a cover, too. Well, she, I mean, she actually got a harpist. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, it's just this lovely, like, gorgeous, simple rendition. And then you have Dance Pop, Dance Pop, and then by the time she has all the horns crashing in during the anchor song at the end, Mm -hmm. it's just like, I mean, it's like, it's
2: it's a weird end to the album, and I love it. It's like know, a prelude to Volta. It if is her entire sh- discography was a musical, uh-huh. this would be the medley at the beginning. Yeah! Be, where you hear a little bit of Volta. It's her overture. You hear, yeah, you
0: hear a little bit of... Um, Sorry, Selma Song's Overture. <laughs> I was about to say, since I said that word, yeah. I actually love the Selma Song's Overture. It's I like it more than like Scatterheart and In the Musicals and 107 Steps. Again, weakness for horns. Yeah. She performed scored, it, so. She performed it live during the Vespertine
2: tour, so she loves it really? too. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh god, I would die. Yeah, that All would, right. Anyway, yeah. back to debut.
1: Yeah. And so like, but the thing is that we hit that one point like one day Airplane and Come to Me is kind of like a weird stretch for me.
0: Well, yeah, this album is definitely I think I think purposefully front-loaded. You know, she's still she's making pop music of the era she's with a record label I'm sure they had some input uh-huh. since it's his, her first record on the order of the songs and what was gonna be a single and that sort of thing. And it's very specifically like those first six. Well, besides like "Someone in Love," but those first six songs basically just fucking keep on hitting. And then it's like eh, a couple other songs. I, don't is, I that, don't. is that how you feel, Mikey? Even really like "Violently Happy." Personally I know, I know. I don't I I get and it. You don't either? I don't really I love Violently, violently Happy. happy. No, I I get I get Violently Happy, but That is an of the era from, production. Yes. yes. Very much so. Very of the era. And also just melodically, it's not as strong as the other singles here. It's still a great track. So glad you said that. But it, it I has don't, a place in my it. heart because
2: it was probably, from what I can remember, probably the first Bjork video that I ever saw, mm-hmm. and that's how I got into listening to Bjork. Mm-hmm. So I'll always love yeah. "Violently Happy." But you're right; it's not as strong as um, some of the initial singles in the album. While there are weaker points, in, in, in relatively, I don't think there is a weak point to this album that other albums do have.
0: I would argue the jazz covers. I really? do I don't, they, neither of them really do much for me. And I, again, I think that even in the musicals is a more effective, I know it's not the exact same style, but right. it's a more effective, If she's going to go old school Hollywood glamour. Yeah. It's, that's just a better iteration of that. And obviously it's Oh So Quiet is like all time, one of her best performances yeah. and songs. So because there's so much great, dance pop on here, I think it just highlights all the more to me how, you know, if you're gonna do a jazz standard, for me, you need to have like a technically trained, fucking brilliant voice. And while she does have an incredible voice, and honestly, I feel like even if she had recorded these jazz standards, two albums later, I would have liked them more because she had her voice had matured a little bit. Obviously, it wouldn't have fit on Homogenic whatsoever. I fucking love them, but it just yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like her mid range is kind of weak. Yeah, and the like growling doesn't doesn't work for me. So
1: here's a question though: Would you also have put this in number three? No. Oh, okay. No. What would you have tossed in number three? <sighs> I know.
0: It's this is very difficult. It These really three is. Three albums are really really close but I would say homogenic.
1: I feel like it has to
0: be. I really feel like it has to be either one of these things, and we'll talk about it in and, a second. And as much as, like, Hunter is phenomenal... Big, there's actually several there's, phenomenal songs There are songs several phenomenal... Bachelorette blew me away this week. Alarm and, like, call. alarm call is, like up there, like, I'm not a fucking Buddhist. Like, maybe even, like, top five for me, yeah. Alarm Call, like, incredible. But I just, you know, then you have, like, All is Full of Love. You don't like <laughs> oh, All is Full of Love? No, I oh don't. My God. Sorry, Garrett, guys. Do, I mean, how many hot takes Sorry. can you have in one body? I don't really like All is Holy Full of Love. Holy shit! Alright, um, Mikey, we love not, that not song, right? Not even the right? single version of I All is I don't yeah. like love. Unravel.
2: Um... I don't, I, don't, is, I don't... Unravel is beautiful. I'm not yeah. into
0: five years. Okay, which well, I don't know anyone that's
2: really into five years. Personally,
0: but, five like... Years. Then, I, like uh, I like
2: every single song on this album. Okay. This and Debut, I think, are the only... Well, some of songs are the only albums that do not have one song that I would say I don't like. Oh, wow. I think all the other albums have one that I'm, like, not crazy about. Homogenic is... I won't say perfect, because I'm not entirely disagreeing with your ranking right now, Taryn, but... Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I don't think there's a bad song on here. I'm not... Okay, I I will say, I don't think that any of these first three albums have a bad song on them. Like, at worst... I have one in mind. Well, sure, then say that in a moment. (laughs) But at at worst, for me, these are, like, fine songs that are just, like... It's just... It's a matter at this point of, like which album has more songs that aren't incredible right and for me sure. that's homogenic right even though and and it's also a matter of like all neon like yeah. i love all neon. really like. actually okay personally i think that the like some of the production choices on there there's a specific like synth tone on all neon like that just gets me i i will i will i'll say i understand why you're not as into it I think that melodically it's not necessarily as interesting as a lot of the other things that are happening here, but from a production standpoint, like mixing, like studio craft, I just think All Neon like is really, really strong. Right. Um, but then again, like I also don't want to
1: underplay the power of. I mean, if you want yoga is I think just I mean a gorgeous ode to her heartland but I keep coming back to Hunter because like aside from the fact that that was a single I feel like it's one of those rare songs that only Bjork like a militant string section is gonna be driving your song for the most part Mm -hmm. and then it's kind of the song about here I am a female singing about being a hunter and
0: bring back the goods
1: you know like it's weirdly kind of emasculating in its own weird way like this is a lot of critics at the time talked about how this was like a cold electronic album and especially in the late 90s there was a lot of cold electronics albums mm-hmm. she was trying to find the heart and all that machinery there how do we do that you know like it is again it's, the coldness here is the same like a different kind of coldness and vespertines is a lot less you know welcoming but she finds so many weird wonderful moments on there Alarm Call is almost like a, like a gimme single like here's kind of a little bit poppy thing except it's just so brilliant it's like she learned all the lessons from the first two albums and putting in together something so like free and loose and just like upbeat with her vocals coming in there like <laughs> exactly. Amazing lyrics. I want to go on a mountaintop yes. with a radio and good batteries.
2: Yeah, alarm it sounds kind alarm, of like
0: call, post-era lyrics, um, uh, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Uh huh. Yeah, alarm calls definitely like some of my favorite lyrics that mm-hmm. she's ever. In. Yeah. At least the ones that I like noticed immediately this week. I I will also say that like I am not sick of Bjork. I want we're gonna finish and then I'm gonna go listen to more Bjork. Yeah. Like,
2: listen I'm, to the I'm, live I'm, albums. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. All right.
1: (laughs) Well, that being said, because I don't, I feel like we're talking about number three, talking about a couple other things, though. Can we talk about Post for a second? Yeah. I kind of want to talk about Post. Because this is, I think a lot of people, and this is an album where, let me just say this out the gate. There's a song, there's a song at the end, two songs called Cover Me and Headphones, which are kind of take-it-or-leave-it prospects for, I think, maybe a couple people, depending. I'm getting a look from Mikey, so I don't know uh, how he feels about that. Go ahead.
2: So I think those two songs are beautiful. Okay. Uh, like I was saying earlier about Debut, that kind of sets the tone for Vespertine later on, headphones especially, if you if you pay close attention mm, to it. Uh-huh. Um, you, you were saying, Karen, now Vespertine, you know, is microsounds. It's meant to be um, listened to digitally through headphones, and the song's called Headphones. Yeah. Um, so I think those are beautiful. My My only problem with post, and that doesn't mean that I don't love it as much as I do, is um, you've
0: been flirting again. I was about to say,
1: yeah. In album, in song, I keep expecting my revelation to come on, and it never does I keep thinking, like, oh, some, like, wonderful, bitter, like, interrelationship. But is it really, like, still lasting kind of thing? And it just, like, it keeps me at arm's bay. And honestly, honestly, The Modern Things kind of does that, too. Yes. Because, like, Mm -hmm. that one where, like, it starts off with an interesting melody and, like, all the modern things are stored in the volcano and it's annoying the dinosaurs. I'm like, oh, you're getting weird. And then it just kind of, you know, kind of goes with the most weird beat change. And it just kind of, like, loses some of that specialness part with it. It's not a bad song.
0: Yeah. So this album's really hard for me. Like I said, these three are so close. But I feel like it has like some of the weakest tracks of these first three. I agree with you. I don't love headphones. Um and I agree with you also. You've been flirting again. Like those are my two like eh. but, but then but then it has my two favorite Bjork songs, Hyperballad and Army of Me. And like I don't I don't I can't overlook that even though maybe some of the experiments on this album don't work as well. It just, like, this is Bjork's peak as a pop songwriter on this album. Post. Yes. This is her best work.
1: It's it's not just the fact, because, like, debut was quirky. It was dance pop, and it had a couple other things on there. This is an explosion, because I want to tell you how fucking weird a song I Miss You is. It has kind of, like, this little, like, tap beat, this... And then it has this, like, little accordion (laughs) sound in there. And then, like, it builds, and it builds, and there's bongos coming in. And then this fucking horn section comes in. Yes! You know, and it's just, like, it's just, like, is changing your life. And, like, the more I listen to I'm like, this song is fucking wild. And it has another great, simple, lyrical conceit, I miss you, but I haven't met you yet. You know, like, it's just kind of, like, weird and romantic and bizarre. It almost feels
0: like the sequel slash talking heads indebted version of there's more to life than this. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like it's sort of in the same vein um, emotionally. Yeah. And, and even maybe chord wise, but then it, it goes to a complete, different place with oh, it.
1: Oh but if we're talking about emotional things going to a different place I want to talk about Hyper Ballad which is a ballad which is one of the most objectively perfect songs I would say ever made this very simple beat that eventually like builds and grows and the lyrics at first you're like what the fuck are you talking about? She's standing on a mountaintop throwing things off just to hear the sounds they make and then by the time you get to the second verse where she talks about I wonder what sound my body would make when she throws down they're like kind of like this isolationist almost suicide things but then I go through all this before you wake up so I can feel happy and feel safe again like it's this like weird psychodrama of a song put to this fucking thunderingly emotional beat that like Robin and so many other dance divas like they have almost nothing on this like this is the blueprint for so much of what great pop music became well and
0: also again I'll say that about all three of these first albums Uh I mean like debut obviously it's very of the era but it's also early enough that I still think that it was very influential the Uh things that she did the way that she tweaked those styles on debut ended up informing like the entire 90s and then like when you get to post and homogenic I mean this is what synth and dance pop especially indie synth and dance pop still sounds like Uh you know Bjork herself has moved on to this other shit and... The rest of the world just unquote, catching up. Quote-unquote lesser artists <laughs> are still, like, working with and tweaking Post and Homogenic and doing them in new ways. But that's the other thing about them is that they were recorded in 95 and 97 and they sound so modern. Mm-hmm. If so, If yeah. Post came out in 2018, I wouldn't think twice. Yeah. Like... It just, it's so, it's utterly timeless. Mikey, what your thoughts, please? I I completely agree. (laughs) I, you know,
2: (laughs) listening to Debut again, I don't think I listened to Debut the whole way through very often. Mm -hmm. Listening to it again this week, it was very enjoyable. I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And I always kind of knew that Post and Homogenic were my favorites. But Debut is up there. I'll, I'll agree with that. I thought I always thought Homogenic was like one of my favorite albums of all time. But what we've said about post makes it almost superior in my mind. Um, although it has the one song, some, some of the songs that we don't love. It's so eclectic. She's doing exactly what she wants to be doing. And so confident, in it too. Which is different from Debut, where it had like a cohesive sound, you know. Produced safely in a studio by her with her record label right a post is like she's doing what she wants to be doing She's writing letters to different people or different ideas or writing in her diary almost and I agree that it's probably her best work,
0: and I feel like it's important to Recognize that you know she was coming out of the sugar cubes She wanted to reinvent herself for debut And I think I was reading that her record label one little Indian
1: no, no, no. It no. was her American oh, one. Shigeru- I think it was
0: Electra. Anyway, yeah. her record yes. label Electra was Records, um, yeah. forecasting that it would sell, like, 40,000 copies globally. Mm-hmm. And within a couple months, it had sold 600,000. So, like, you can hear that confidence in post. You can tell that this is the same artist who recorded debut, but then... Mm-hmm. And, and she even wrote Army of Me during the debut period and saved it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a very smart, smart because... Because Massive Attack bring the production on it is, <laughs> it is an entirely different song than I think she would have been allowed to make it. Oh, absolutely. Debut. And that was a rock hit,
1: too. That became a hit on the rock charts. I mean, yeah.
0: rightly so. Yeah. That's the other thing about Army of Me is that, like... Yeah. Like... You still hear that effect. (laughs) Gaga used something very similar in fucking um, Bad Romance. Mm -hmm. Like, it was higher pitched, but it's the same effect. It's the same, like, tones. Like, that crunchy, downward, spiraling thing. Like, you still hear that used everywhere. And, anyway. And can we talk about how
2: beautiful Possibly Maybe is?
0: (laughs) Or not? Yeah. Um... I'm ambivalent on possibly I maybe. like it.
1: I kind of have to be in the mood for it, though, because, like, it is just such a otherworldly sound, you know? Like, I feel like that is almost closer to Vespertine, uh, homogenic to a degree as well. Like, it's almost a forecast of that, this kind of, like, cavernous synth tone. It's very dreamy. Yeah. There's,
2: like, this and mm-hmm. telephone ringing in the background mm-hmm. while she's singing. Yeah. Um,
0: and also there's...
2: the way she sings on this one.
0: Like, it's this very vulnerable, focused, small mouth kind That's, thing. Possibly yeah. Maybe is hard for me because I like everything except the hook itself. The Possibly Maybe, Possibly Maybe. Like, just, it's, it's some, funny yeah. because it's catchy enough that I, I can sing it for you right now, even just listening to it, like, five times this week. But I still don't, it Have doesn't, like, click with me in yeah. the same well, way that a lot of the other songs on this record do. I really love Isabel. Yeah, I think
1: oh, it's done. Oh, 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 by the way, her explanation of what that song is about. What is it? Oh, we watched the documentary. Remember oh, well, where she talked about? I was really what, drunk. I know. <laughs> uh, but there was the thing where she talked about how like it's a song about there's pebbles in the ground, but they can like rise oh, yes. and become skyscrapers. But then she has thoughts and ideas that become airplanes, and they like circle in front of people and like go back and forth and back and forth until and it's just like you hear this, this thing, and that's what she described to director Michelle Gondry, who like. Put all of that in the music video.
2: But, like, wait, that's what
0: the song is about? Like, it starts. A,
2: yeah. And then a moth has a message that it delivers to you through Morse code or something. I okay, don't you know, get it. But
0: listen to her talk about all of her songs and albums, and it's pretty similar. <laughs> yes. right. She's like, I was writing about this. And you're like, really? Because this sounds like a love song. Yeah. But, uh, okay. As yeah. long as, you know, whatever works for you.
2: It's also the prequel to.
1: Bachelorette. Uh, Bachelorette, Oh my God, absolutely. And Bachelorette is the darker cousin of that. Like it is just so.
0: Oh my God. Gorgeous
1: and totally. beautiful. Yeah. But that being said, we were talking about Bjork for seventy minutes already, and we're kind of like oh. down to the thing of ranking these albums' debut, post, and homogenic. So before anything else, before anything else, because it's a tight thing, and honestly, I want to thank all of you because this discussion has made me question my own choices a little bit. Like, now that we're into it, I'm like, oh, this is tighter than I thought it was gonna be. Like, actually, well, it's so. So let's just go around, toss out our number threes in the room, let's see if outvoting will happen, if we can lock something in. Mikey, what would you put in number three of these?
2: So originally I said debut. Uh-huh. After our conversation, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but homogenic might might belong there. It's one of those two for me.
0: Um.
2: Yeah, I agree.
0: I also. It's it's one of those two.
1: For me, <laughs> at this point, it's homogenic three. It's debut at number two,
2: and it's
0: post it at number one. one. Yeah. No. So exactly. Before we
2: get to post again, why why debut over homogenic? I think it's a much more consistent album.
1: I think that even with the moments that don't entirely work there, like, the thing is, I still, like, even with the day, run of One Day Aeroplane come to life, I still have things like, for me, immature five years. Like, those kind of things. I mean, also, Pluto is a take or leave it kind of proposition, too. Because mm-hmm. that's, like, an it's industrial...
2: Probably my favorite... Really? York song. Yes. Oh,
0: really? Wait, your favorite Bjork song is Pluto? Yes. Fascinating. Because we need to the, listen to that because again. Because of as my soon experience
2: listening to it for the first time, I I've had never heard anything like that. Oh, wow. Oh, and I don't sure. think there are any other songs like that.
1: Like that kind so, of like direct industrial pop.
2: Yeah. You know, to yeah. kind of
1: degree. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like, that's kind of it for me where like I'd say that like Debut is a surprisingly strong statement. You are correct. The production is dated on there. Homogenic is bolder and takes more risks, has more weak points, I think, all across the board on there. So that's kind of my reasoning why debut would be a little bit above homogenic. But again, this is like fucking, you know, horses and noses. And and
0: and for me, it really comes down to just like how much do I love the great songs? And
1: and... I love post highlights with such great fervor and erotic passion. That, like, oh. you know, it kind of, is just a little, like, transform. And I love, I love uh, Homogenic and what it says. And I love Debut and what it established. But Post feels like kind of a coming home. Of like, again, I still come back to I Miss You because, like, that is just, like, she never did anything like that quite again. You know, and she never did anything like that before. Like, and this is the album where, like, failures aside, she felt, like, fearless in a profound right.
0: way. she did. In profound pop I mean, it's, it was... The beginning of the rest of her career in which she did literally whatever she wanted.
1: Yeah. So that's why for me, Homogenic 3, debut 2, post
2: number 1. You cool with that? Cool with that. Alright, right, so just to
1: recap for everyone at home, number 10, oh that feels so long ago, Biophilia, number 9, Utopia, number 8, Volna number 7, Volta, number 6, Medulla, number 5, Vespertine, number 4, Selma Songs, I'm happy that's there honestly, number 3, Homogenic, number 2, Debut, and number 1, you know it was coming, Telegram, it is a remix album, everyone loves it, can't talk enough about it, uh, it's post, we all know it's post but as you can tell we have a lot to talk about uh mikey has seen her live he's actually watched fucking drawing restraint nine there's a lot of other just weird bjork things we need to talk about there's a swan dress involved in the meantime though mikey profoundly and deeply thank you for being here my pleasure i'm so glad you were here for this oh my goodness uh taryn of course as always yeah this was a great week. It fantastic. Exactly. So in the meantime, though, if you could do us a favor, on our Facebook page, I love when people do it, post your own list, your own ranking, where the albums are, I know it's different than what we have, unless it's not. Uh, but let us know what you think, and also while you're there, feel free to like us, feel free to uh, subscribe and rate us on iTunes. The more times you rate us, the more visibility we have, other people can see it, we appreciate it, and Stitcher and SoundCloud and all the other things. But in the meantime, though, please do us a favor and keep listening, because you know that we'll be. Have a good one, good
0: In the heat of the moment, I thought that I could myself.